0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, is Joe Biden's pick for vice president a safe and energizing choice? As the New York Times headlines declared this morning, the Times analysis of Biden's selection of Senator Kamala Harris says that she is a conventional pick by some political standards, quote, unquote. Harris's record would suggest that the reality is much different. Harris, the junior senator from California, has only been in the Senate for three years, but she has managed to be ranked now as the most liberal U.S. senator. As a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, she has made very clear her view on judges. And it's much different than the present administration. She has routinely attacked judges for, or nominees, for their religious affiliation, their biblical views on human sexuality, on life, and a host of other issues. My first guest says Harris was a ringleader in one of, if not the most brutal, character assassination attempts in the history of Supreme Court nominations, the confirmation hearing of now Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Molly Hemingway, senior editor at The Federalist and author of Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation, and the future of the Supreme Court joins us in just a moment. As the former Attorney General of California, Harris aggressively went after crisis pregnancy centers in her state's uh, interstate using the state's deceptively named California Reproductive Freedom, Accountability, Comprehensive Care, and Transparency Act. Harris and the state was uh, or were sued by, the pro-life, by pro-life organizations who prevailed ultimately, at the U.S. Supreme Court. While her views on abortion might energize the most rabid pro-abortion activists, they would appear far from safe. Are her views on abortion safe? Marjorie Dannenfelser, President Susan B. Anthony List, joins us with more on that later here on Washington Watch. And while Harris has only passed one piece of legislation as senator, the St. Francis Dam Disaster National Memorial Act, She ranks at the top among her peers in the number of bills she has introduced and measures she has co-sponsored. She was one of the first to sign on to AOC's Green New Deal and the deceptively named Equality Act, which would torpedo the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Just how conventional are Harris's views? Terry Jeffrey, editor-in-chief of cnsnews.com, weighs in on that aspect of Harris's record. And finally... Is Harris a conventional pick or is she the result of capitulating to the Democratic Party's woke cultural warriors? Ken Blackwell, former mayor of Cincinnati, joins me for that conversation. Also, we'll have an update from Pastor Rob McCoy in California, the Calvary Chapel pastor who was in court yesterday for holding indoor services this past Sunday. Will his church continue to meet under the threat of jail time? We'll talk with him later. Here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T Perkins. And let me remind you, men, there's still time. This coming weekend, we'll be having our Stand Courageous Men's Conference. It will be live streamed, so you can see it no matter where you are. You can participate, but you have to register. If you're in the Baton Rouge, Louisiana area, you can come join us live in person. Uh, But if not, find out how you can host it in your home, in your church, or... On your computer by yourself. Go to com and follow the links over. And uh, one more thing. Monday we had the second of a three-part series on rethinking public education. We'll have the final program tomorrow as we look at various options for parents. Charter schools, Christian schools, even starting schools in your uh, church. Now be sure and tune in as I'll be joined by former Minnesota Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Uh, do you know what launched her into politics, which ultimately led... To her being a candidate for the President of the United States, well, tune in tomorrow and find out. John Schilling, President of the American Federation for Children. Pastor Doug Wilson from Lagos. And Joseph Backholm, Senior Fellow for Biblical Worldview and Strategic Engagement here at the Family Research Council, will be a part of tomorrow's program. They'll join me as well. So tune in tomorrow for Part 3 of Rethinking Public education. All right, uh, this is all over the news. So, unless uh, you just woke up from a 36-hour nap, uh, you know that yesterday, former VP turned presidential candidate Joe Biden selected his own choice for VP in his selection of California Senator Kamala Harris. That the Times, the New York Times, declared as safe and energizing uh, a choice. uh, The uh, saying that it was a conventional pick. Now, safe, I doubt it, uh, but it certainly may be energizing to the party's left wing, especially when it comes to the courts. Now, as we know, elections have consequences, and if the Democratic ticket is a is successful, one serious consequence would be what the courts would look like in America. Joining me now to talk about this is Molly Hemingway, senior editor at The Federalist, and uh, she is the co-author of justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation, and the Future of the Supreme Court. Molly, welcome to the program. Molly, you with us? Oh, I think I'm we, so sorry uh, about
2: that. It's great, to, it's great to be here with you.
1: Well, it's good to hear your voice. Um, let me just start with this. Uh, you you tracked the Supreme Court. Obviously, you, you watched the Kavanaugh hearing very closely. You were there. You wrote about it. But let's talk about Harris, a former... California attorney general, member of the Senate Judici- J- Judiciary Committee, there for the confirmation of Kavanaugh. From her past, what can we tell about her judicial philosophy and the type of judges she would be a part of nominating?
3: Well, it seems that
2: she was pretty clear about the nature of her opposition to Brett Kavanaugh, which was rooted firmly in her support of abortion. And she had a viewpoint that he would not be as supportive of Uh, abortion jurisprudence as has been done by the Supreme Court as she is and so I'm not sure so much what the governing philosophy is other than the end being her focal point but that she she was pretty clear about it from the beginning that what she didn't like about him was that she worried he would not be as radically in support of abortion as she would prefer.
1: It, It would appear from how she conducted herself in that hearing that she would go to great lengths to pursue that top priority of promoting abortion, even if it meant character assassination.
2: Right. A lot of people focus on the horrible end to those hearings, where it it devolved into unsubstantiated allegations that were parroted throughout the media. They were actually pretty bad from the get-go. And from the moment President Trump nominated Brett Kavanaugh, a few Democratic senators really decided to campaign on that issue or use it as a launching pad for presidential ambitions, and she was chief among them. She was out on the steps of the Supreme Court the day after the nomination. Within minutes of the nomination, she was announcing her opposition to it long before she had reviewed his record. Um, She, you know, the first round of hearings, which was before any of these unsubstantiated allegations came out, she, within seven seconds, interrupted Chairman Grassley to try and derail the proceedings, and that led to... You know all of these arrests that were in the in the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing room, and she tried to get him into a get uh, judge then Judge Kavanaugh into a perjury trap where she tried to nail him for saying something. She, she failed at it, but it was really clear that she was going to pull out all the stops to stop him. And then when it was her own constituent who put forth the unsubstantiated allegation um, regarding uh, you know teenage sexual assault. She was very much promoting that as a reason to not confirm Brett Kavanaugh, and she kept it going even after his eventual confirmation.
1: And when that was proven to not be true, what did she do at that point?
2: Well, I don't know if you'd say it was proven not to be true so much as there was never any evidence in support of it, other than the claim made by Christine Blasey Ford, and there was a lot of evidence against the claim, Um, and in many people look at that situation as one of the worst experiences they've ever seen in the United States Senate. It was understandable that liberal Democrats such as Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris might not want someone like Kavanaugh on the court, but the length that they were willing to go to not just keep him off the court, but destroy his life and his relationship with his family and his reputation, that horrified a lot of people because they felt, you know, all fair in politics, but when you go to that level, that's really egregious. And um and so it was, it remains something that a lot of Americans just look back in horror upon. Uh, a year later, after he was confirmed and had already served on the court for a year, Kamala Harris actually tried to impeach Brett Kavanaugh. You know, she just was not going to let it go, even though there was never any evidence that came out in support of these allegations, and certainly not, you know, a year later.
1: Um Molly Hemingway, the uh, Washington Examiner, um, in a, a piece that they put out today, said that she is the cancel culture cop. They saying that saying that Harris is a vindictive culture war cop whose political uh, career has been built upon punishing those she finds deplorable. Uh, given what you've seen there with Kavanaugh and her attack of uh, actually crisis pregnancy centers in California where she tried to drive them out of uh, business, shutting them down. I mean, do you think she would use that power as vice president to go after those who she opposes and stands in the way of abortion?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people are concerned about some of the authoritarian impulses they're seeing on the American left right now. And Kamala Harris is actually someone who has put Force behind some of her authoritarian instincts. And I think a good example of this is her move to imprison David Daleiden or to persecute David Daleiden, who's a journalist who exposed some of the lawbreaking at Planned Parenthood clinics in the state of California. And her support of abortion was such, she really moved to try to destroy his life just for his journalism. You know, we live in a time when people are very concerned about people speaking Against journalists, as if that is a horrible threat to the first amendment. And that's an understandable concern. But here we have someone who actually has taken action against journalists and tried to persecute them if they expose the wrongdoing of her political allies. I think that is something that definitely Americans should be aware of that, you know, California is a big state. And if she could accomplish that in California, what she could accomplish in the White House in terms of persecuting her political opponents um, is something that I think legitimately
1: concerns a lot of people. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, Molly Hemingway, my guest. She is a senior editor at The Federalist and author, co-author of The Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. Let me just springboard off of that, Molly. Uh, when you look at the Supreme Court and you look at the judicial nominees and the uh, that this administration has placed onto the bench, by and large, uh, what we would call constitutionalist, strict constructionist, uh, structuralist, uh, textualist, however you want to describe them. Um, this would be one of those areas where there would be a clear contrast between a Trump administration and a Biden-Harris administration.
2: I wish that every politician from here on out would do what President Trump did in 2016 when he was a candidate, which is put forth a list of people that he would select from, he or she would select from, should they be uh, President, there be a Supreme Court opening. A lot of Americans took a chance on President Trump precisely because he put forth this list, yeah. and it, put, it it accrued to his benefit to be that transparent about it. One in four of his voters said the Supreme Court was a reason for voting was their main reason for voting for him. It would also be good to know what Democratic politicians are thinking in terms of who they want to put on the court. To have that level of transparency, because as the Supreme Court becomes more and more important in terms of affecting the lives of Americans, I actually wish it weren't that important, but it is that important, we would like to see more transparency so that Americans can make a a full decision. Um, But the judicial nominations of President Trump are easily one of his most significant accomplishments in the minds of conservative voters. It's not just the Supreme Court picks, it's all of those federal judges at the circuit and district level. Uh, that someday might become a Supreme Court justice, but otherwise are affecting people's
1: lives day to day. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, one of his greatest accomplishments and long lasting as well. And it would be a very significant uh, picture of contrast, I think, to have the, the list of the two uh, different uh, candidates. Molly Hemingway, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. All right, folks, don't go away. We come back, we take a deeper look at Kamala Harris's attack on life uh, with Susan B. Anthony, next.
4: Today, moral relativism and political correctness are assaulting truth. How can the world have hope when believers themselves aren't clear on the authority of the Bible? The Church of
1: Jesus Christ always faces a tremendous temptation
4: to deviate from the Word of God. The God who speaks clearly expresses God's intent in giving us his word and the response that is demanded of those who hear. Nobody ever encounters God and says, that was boring and irrelevant. When people say that about the Bible, it just says to me they've not
1: encountered the God of the Bible. Our faith is rooted in history and and consequently we need to use
4: the evidence and never be afraid of it. The God who speaks is a feature-linked documentary from the American Family Association, which could bolster your confidence in the Word of God. Churches really need to see this, really need to understand what the Bible actually is. Available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. This is good news, maybe exactly when you need it to. Right now, MediShare is waiving their new member fees. This could save you money on top of all that you'll save each month by becoming a member of MediShare. So many people are looking for a healthcare solution right now, seeing the cost of COBRA plans, for instance. And MediShare is the affordable alternative to health insurance. The typical family saves $500 a month, but you might save even more. start saving here it is call 833-44-BIBLE that's 833-44-BIBLE 833-44-BIBLE
3: what
2: would it be like if every person knew that they were created in the image of god
1: after two years in the making american family studios proudly presents in his image delighting in god's plan for gender and sexuality
2: there are only two sexes male or female If you're conceived with a Y chromosome, you will develop into a male.
1: In His Image is a documentary featuring life-changing testimonies of former LGBT individuals. In my most formative years of development of sexuality, I went through a brutal time of uh, sexual distortion, molestation. Visit InHisImage.movie to register for a free sneak preview.
5: Well, everybody, welcome to this unboxing video as we unbox. My hormone
1: blockers. In His Image from American Family Studios is coming soon. Visit inhisimage.movie.
6: You're made in the image of God.
1: Back to Washington Watch. I'm your host Tony Perkins. The website tonyperkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parler, it is uh, at tperkins. All right. We were talking in the uh, previous segment with Molly Hemingway about uh, the attacks on judicial nominees and the advancement of a rabid pro-abortion philosophy agenda, whatever you want to call it, from Kamala Harris. Uh, But I want to go a little bit deeper. Because the issue of abortion is like it, she is a true warrior for, for abortion. I want to play a clip for you. Uh, this is from an MSNBC town hall.
5: There are states that keep passing
2: these laws. And so and when elected, I'm going to put in place and require that states that have a history of passing legislation that is designed to to prevent or, or limit a woman's access to reproductive health care that those laws have to come before my department of justice for a review and approval and until we determine that they are constitutional they will not take effect.
1: In other words, she wants to make sure that states which in the last uh, ten years have passed hundreds of pro-life laws, in fact in the last ten years we've seen almost a third of all pro-life laws passed since Roe v. Wade. Uh, she wants to give the federal government the ability to give clearance to states or deny clearance on any pro-life legislation. Join me now to talk more about this is the president of the Susan B. Anthony List, the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Life is Winning Inside the Fight for Unborn Children and Their Mothers, Marjorie Dannenfelser. Marjorie, welcome to the program.
5: Tony. Thank you so much for having me on. I love time with you.
1: Well, n- no one knows this issue of life better than you do at Susan B. Anthony. And let me just ask you this straight up um, Is this a conventional, safe selection for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris?
5: <laughs> no. I mean, um you've seen her. I have too. I've watched her career. Um, it began. Uh, as she became nationally known when she was the attorney general in California. Um, what her, her her primary partner in politics has been Planned Parenthood from the very beginning, and therefore, when she was the attorney general there, she um, made a made it a very strong focus of her leadership there, so called, to um, create legislation that would allow her to go after David DeLyden and the Senate from Center for Medical Progress um, and who was and he there was exposing the trafficking of baby body parts in, within Planned Parenthood they're breaking all sorts of laws and basically trafficking in the livers and hearts And I mean, it's just a horrible thing to even say but that's exactly what they were doing so this is where her soul is I mean not ultimately we know what it will be with, with God uh, we pray through a conversion but this is where she is now there is no sense in which she is immoderate moderate in any way in the u.s senate she has blocked every conceivable modest pro-life protection late term born alive um taxpayer funding and you know you and i both were sitting in those hearings tony where we saw her real justice kavanaugh with the conviction that if we turn the supreme court we're going to be facing laws that she now realizes could pass all over the country and could actually be allowed to come into law unless she sits as the, um, in the federal office and is directing, um, directing federal, helping direct the leaders on the federal level, uh, namely the attorney general, et cetera, where she gets to review. She gets to say, we don't care what you think, state. Um, you may want to pass protections, but we're going to review those and make sure they're overturned. So it's, a, it's an incredible contrast, and that's a gift
1: in politics. Marjorie, let me focus on just one aspect of what you said. Was She voted? She was one of 44 senators to vote against the cloture on the Born Alive Survivors Protection Act, but then she turned right around after voting against that, and she introduced her own bill called the Heart Act, to protect the survivors of dog fighting um where she she went you know to 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 the great extremes of trying to protect animals who survive dogs who survive dog fighting but yet she will allow a baby who survives an abortion born alive to die or to have its life taken away yeah i mean it's the it's
5: where the feminist movement went wrong long ago it's it's departed from the roots of the original feminists that have suffered just in the very beginning. Um, the tenderness that a, a, a most women feel um, uh, towards humanity <laughs> um, has been bulldozed over in so many ways by ideology and and in politics. And instead, instead, supplemented or supplanted by tenderness for the rest of God's creation, which, of course, we have tenderness too, but none is more fundamental than the right to live um, that God ordained his creatures that he, um, that he intended for the world. And so that tenderness directed towards animals, sure, we can get that, but when, but when it's to the exclusion of humanity itself, it's right. just, it's just, it takes a lot of suspension of disbelief about how the world is supposed to work to even get close to how, she, how she thinks. And the truth is, Tony, and you know this is better than anybody, is that it is so out of step with rank and file voters in battleground states and any state, right. but especially the battleground states, which are going to decide this presidency and U.S. Senate races all over the country, that I think, frankly, in the end, um, her candidacy is a gift. Um, it's a gift because we have clarity between the two um, sets of people who are running to lead this country, and um, and I that that is what you know politics is made of. I'm sorry for the contrast, but that is what it is.
1: You know, Marjorie, I think you're absolutely right. I don't, I do not think voters could have a clear contrast with having an administration that has established a four-year track record of. The most pro-life administration since Roe v. Wade contrasted with what could be, would be, I would say, I'll I'll just go right out there and say it, would be the most pro-abortion administration in the history of the country. Uh, Marjorie, thanks so much for joining us. We're we're out of time, but I want to thank you for the great work that you do at uh, Susan B. Anthony. And uh, we'll get you back on to talk about your book that comes out on August the 25th. It's a privilege to work
5: with you, Tony. Thank you so much.
1: All right, Uh, folks, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. When we come back, Terry Jeffrey, editor-in-chief of CNSNews.com, takes us deeper into Kamala Harris's record. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go
6: away.
7: Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio.
6: If you want to get an idea of the ignorance of the Democratic Party and the left media, take a look at how they're talking about second quarter GDP numbers being negative, as if it had something to do with the economy. It's not so bad that they are so ignorant about the economy. What's bad is they just assume that every one of you are even more ignorant than they are. I wonder what they'll do in the third quarter when GDP snaps back to 20, 25 percent growth. I'm sure they'll give President Trump all the credit for that. Or will it just be while well, the coronavirus is winding down and that's why? Anyway, as we head into the rest of the week, markets are going to be trading on I don't know what. They're not trading on the virus. They're not trading on any bad news that seems to be coming out. They're trading on good, solid economic news. We are seeing producer price indexes come out a little bit higher. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It means that we are avoiding deflation, that there is still some balance between demand and supply. We're seeing some prices increase. That's a good thing for a good free market economy. Everywhere you turn in the economic data, they contradict what politics is saying about America, and the only thing that seems to be smart enough to understand that is in fact the market mark my words folks when president trump gets reelected, the coronavirus will magically be over the news won't be talking much about it and you're going to see a surge in the economy to the lights of which we haven't seen because it's going to go from a bottom to back to where it was in february in a heartbeat and then move on from there
7: Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net.
1: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. One of the elements... That uh, takes into was taken into consideration by GovTrack, which looks at all legislators, senators, and congressmen, uh, l- leading them to label Harris as the most liberal senator, U.S. senator. Uh, she has only passed one piece of legislation in her three years in the United States Senate, and that piece of legislation is the St. Francis Dam Disaster National Memorial Act. And uh, she ranks at the top among her peers in the number of bills that she has introduced, though, and measures she has co-sponsored. In fact, she was one of the first to sign on to AOC's Green New Deal and also one of the uh, one of the chief leading sponsors in the Senate of the deceptively named Equality Act, which would torpedo the 1993 Religious Freedom Restoration Act uh, by basically advancing the whole LGBTQ agenda at uh, at the. Uh, at the detriment of religious freedom in this country. So just how c- conventional, as the New York Times says, are Harris's view? Terry Jeffrey, editor-in-chief of CNS News, joins me. Terry, welcome back to Washington Watch.
3: Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right. Is uh, Kamala Harris, is, is is that a conventional pick for Joe Biden?
3: <laughs> uh, I wasn't surprised that he picked her. And I think if you look at what Joe Biden is actually advocating, and he has a lot of it down his uh, own campaign website, he's actually advocating a lot of the crazy radical things she has promoted in the United States Senate. But I I don't think it's a smart pick for him politically. And I do think it gives an opportunity for conservatives to point to all these radical things, like some some of which she mentioned, that Kamala Harris has been promoting and co-sponsoring in the United States Senate. Truly radical stuff, which is, if, if Joe Biden is pushed on it, he will not repudiate Because at
1: core, he actually shares her values. You know, Terry, I had to chuckle when I read the New York York Times analysis of the pick, and they um, they had a caption there saying that she was one of the most effective senators. And, (laughs) I I mean, I'm I'm not sure what world they live in, um, but, I mean, passing one piece of legislation in three years, I mean, I think she is an ideologue. I do think that, as the Washington Examiner points out, she is a great attack dog in advancing the left's agenda, going after anyone who would dissent. Uh, but I don't think she's an effective lawmaker.
3: Yeah, she's not. You know, you know, but Here's a picture of what could happen. You mentioned the Equality Act. The Equality Act, which she co-sponsors, actually passed Nancy Pelosi's House of Representatives. And when it came through the committee in the House, Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida, uh, it offered an amendment that simply said, this will not, basically it said, this will not allow boys to play on girls' sports teams. The committee rejected that amendment because that is part of the purpose of that bill were it to become law. So as crazy as it seems, if the Democrats were to take the Senate and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were to be elected and take over the White House, we would have a government that would pass a law that, as you say, would violate to religious freedom by forcing people to do things dealing with transgenders and homosexuals and so forth that violate their moral and religious principles. But it also say that a guy could play on your daughter's you know, softball team.
1: Well, she has pledged to champion champion Championing the LGBTQ individuals in her administration, meaning I guess transgenders in the uh, in her administration. I mean, I'm not sure what all that looks like or what it means, but it's certainly going to be different.
3: Yeah, you know, she, she she wrote a piece during the campaign. This is a direct quote: "She says, and I will be intentional intentional about appointing LGBTQ plus people, including transgender and gender nonconforming individuals." to leadership roles throughout my administration, from my cabinet to the federal bench and beyond. So it seems like she was literally saying she was ready to name a transgender person to a cabinet position. I mean, really. I mean, this is where we are in America, that this person is now the Democratic nominee for vice president of the United States for a president, for a president who would be taking office when he was 78 years old. Yeah,
1: I and, mean, you know, the the vice president is you know a heartbeat away from the oval office i mean that's that's why they're there uh, i mean i think in this case it's a half a heartbeat away and i think people need to consider very very carefully her positions because he's even described joe Biden's described himself as a bridge candidate
3: yes yeah and he and he knows that and uh, it's i mean like i said i'm not surprised that he picked kamala harris but it does provide an opportunity for for Republicans and conservatives to draw attention to these incredibly radical positions that she has that Joe Biden, I don't think, would repudiate if they became in the forefront of the debate. And I, I also think when you look at it just purely politically, you know, Joe Biden was born in Pennsylvania. He's a Delaware guy. And we know that President Trump won Pennsylvania, which was a remarkable thing for a Republican presidential candidate. But President Trump also won basically all those Northern Midwest swing states, which I believe, once again, is going to decide this election. I do not believe Kamala Harris will help Joe Biden at all in those swing states, including his Pennsylvania, where he was born. I think she will alienate the kind of person that historically, and even in 2016, was the type of person who was a swing voter in those states who was a culturally conservative
1: person. Terry, Jeffrey, we're out of time, but very quickly, one, one final question for you. Would you com- contrast a Trump-Pence ticket with a Biden-Harris? In your long history of covering politics, has there been a greater contrast between the two parties and the options, to voters? No,
3: it's pretty dramatic. It's very, very dramatic, without question.
1: All right, Terry, Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining us. All right, folks, stick with us. On the other side of the break, we're joined by former mayor of Cincinnati, Ken Blackwell, to dissect this choice. Was it uh, what was driving it? Talk about that next. We are living in unprecedented times, a time when more than ever men need to follow Christ's example, to lead, to serve, and to be men of courage. This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join me and retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, a founding member and commander of the U.S. Army's Delta Force, this Saturday, August the 15th, for the Stand Courageous National Livestream event. You'll hear from speakers who have demonstrated uncommon courage under fire, both physically and spiritually. We'll dive into what it means for men to be a provider, instructor, defender, battle buddy, and chaplain. This live stream event is accessible to everyone. Invite other men in to join you, whether you're watching at home, at church, or in a small group. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16:13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Register now or find out more at standcourageous.com live. That's standcourageous.com live or 800-225-4008.
0: Hello, I'm Franklin Graham. Right now, our country is in trouble, and people are scared, people are afraid, and we see the violence and the injustices that are taking place. Only God can change this.
5: Uh, This is a problem of the human heart. If you'd like to pray with someone, call us any time of the day or night at 888-388-2683. 888-388-2683. Call that number
0: right now. We've got someone who'll pray with you, talk with you, encourage you. God bless.
1: A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden, Executive Director of the Association of Independent Methodists. And his hand stuck to the sword. Eliezer, one of David's mighty men, fought the Philistines while the men of Israel retreated. Second Samuel 23 tells us that he fought so effectively that his hand was weary and stuck to the sword. The Bible says that the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Eliezer fought when everyone else retreated. How often do you feel you are alone in your service for God? Like Eliezer, if we fight God's battles with His Word, which is the sword of the Spirit, until our heart and hands are stuck to it, the Lord can bring great victory in our day and in our lives. Will you be an Eliezer? The Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. Tony Perkins, you're listening to Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you, men, coming up this Saturday, a Stand Courageous Men's Conference live streamed. You can uh, join us if you're in the Baton Rouge area. You can find out more about how you can be there in person. Go to TonyPerkins.com. But because of the coronavirus and many of the events being canceled around the country, we're doing a live stream. And so you can participate. All you need to do is go to the website, TonyPerkins.com, and register. That's this coming Saturday, Stand Courageous Men's Conference. All right, we've been uh, focusing on Kamala Harris and her record. We looked at her judicial uh, conduct or her conduct in the Judiciary Committee and her attack on uh, Kavanaugh and other judges. By the way, she's gone after uh, Catholic judges. uh, Brian Bisher who was nominated for district judge in Nebraska. She went after him, uh, basically saying he was disqualified from serving on the bench because, uh, wait for it, he was involved with the Knights of Columbus, and that organization is connected with the Catholic church that believes abortion is wrong. And for that reason, he was disqualified. In fact, uh, some of her colleagues have taken her to task for a reverse religious test. Uh, imp- uh, applying a religious test. If someone has a religious view on life, on human sexuality, based upon their biblical teaching, they're disqualified from the bench in her mindset. All right, we were talking with Terry Jeffrey about the fact that uh, he's not surprised that Joe Biden picked Kamala Harris. But says it's not a good political move. So why do he do it? Join me now to talk more about that. Ken Blackwell, former mayor of Cincinnati and secretary of state of Ohio. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch.
7: Hey, Tony. Good to be with you, sir.
1: All right. Um, look, there's nothing conventional about this pick. It does not make a lot of political sense because it is He. he, he he didn't look to his right in making this pick. He looked far to his left and picked Harris. Uh, was he forced into this by the party's woke cultural warriors?
7: Tony, with her selection of the radical left wing of the Democratic Party consummated its takeover of the party. Uh, it is basically driven by this notion that uh, in 1619, America was permanently flawed by systemic racism, and that the only cure for America is its total destruction, uh, and so uh, and, and and ultimate transformation. Uh, and and she has bought into it. Look, uh, uh, Kamala Harris is like Plato. You know, you can in fact shape Plato. Into different forms, different shapes.
1: Different I just want to make sure you said Plato, Plato, not Plato. <laughs> yeah.
7: But in the but in the final analysis, it's still Plato. because uh, She is a political chameleon. She's an opportunist, uh, and she has uh, given her body and soul uh, to the radical left uh, of the same cut uh, as. Black Lives Matter Incorporated, Antifa, uh, and and other agents of uh, radical transformation of what we know to be, uh, since 1776, uh, the most robust, the most diverse constitutional republic in, in human history.
1: I'm glad you brought up Black Lives Matter and Antifa because I, I, I think that's connected here. I think Joe Biden is being held hostage. Or he's trying to negotiate with that left wing of the party, Black Lives Matter, antifa, but to 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 your point, nothing satisfies them. The case in point Seattle uh Seattle kind of, kind of uh, ground zero in this uh, antifa Black Lives Matter. I know Portland is a, a little bigger, but it's been going on in Seattle. There, you have the first black police chief who was over at Seattle's police department. Forced, essentially forced to resign because they were cutting the department's budget. I mean, here's, here's a picture of progress, a picture of success, a picture of what they say they're after, equality, opportunity. And here you have someone that has it, but yet they are trying to dismantle that department and driving this police chief uh, out of office. Absolutely.
7: Because the Majority force within the Democrat Party right now, uh, again wants the lawlessness. They want the disruption. Uh, they they want the confusion. Uh, and and one of the things that they they think helps them do that is a move from the rule of law uh, to this sort of uh, lawlessness. And, and 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 Tony, in the final analysis, as your previous three guests have indicated, uh, her choice makes this a crystal-clear choice for the American voters. You know, on one side, you have a a, a party uh, and a leader that understands that our nation is a God-centered nation. On the other side, you have uh, forces, leading personalities and groups that believe our government is a God, uh, is a uh, government-centered government uh, that, in fact... uh, uh, is run by bureaucrats and and political elites. That's the choice.
1: Yes, but, but I and I think people need to understand that this is an insatiable appetite that the left has. As you said, it is. It's not about accomplishing the the stated agenda but it is the unstated agenda of basically destroying the republic and all of the infrastructure for our country. There's no other way, and I think Biden needs to know, and I bring that up because of what happened in Seattle with the black police chief, Chief. female, that Biden is going to be held hostage in the Oval Office to the demands of this radical left element of the party that hates America and wants to disassemble it.
7: And <laughs> hey look, no matter what we, we think about the policies of Obama, just think about what a big contradiction Biden and Harris and their ilk are. This is the country that gave us in 244 years, gave us a, a, a black president, has given us a a, a, a woman who will be number two on the ticket. You yeah, third... can't tell me any other democracy or constitutional republic that is as powerful where the opportunities have been created. But you know what? These folks don't care. They they don't care about what a contradiction it is that they want to destroy the country that, it, you know, as Lincoln said, it was not perfect, but it's perfectible. And Americans have understood instinctively what you, in fact, March on every day. And that is that good, great nations are not the products of great governments. They're the products of good people doing great things together in a God centered nation.
1: Yeah, I, I, I hope people realize what is at play here and that this is about a lot more than what we see on the surface. And I think with this pick, there's no question in my mind that uh, Joe Biden. Uh, is is going to be held captive by the the party's left wing, and they are those that, quite frankly, they want to kneel uh, in the at the anthem. Uh, they want to topple the statues honoring those who have sacrificed so much for this country. They want to erase America's history and rewrite it. That's what we're looking at here, quite frankly. Absolutely,
7: it does. One side, you have those who want to cancel culture, and on the other side, you have folks who understand that together we can build a stronger culture that, in fact, honors individual liberty and respects the family. Don't mistake it; this is a ticket
1: that has bought into the notion that the nuclear family must be destroyed. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, she also wants to legalize prostitution as well. But that's topic for another day. Ken Blackwell, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Thank you, Tony. All the best. All right. Ken Blackwell, to find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com. you see him a lot out there in the media. All right, speaking of all of this religious freedom, um, that is a big issue. And we have seen a, a, a major uh, reversal of the attacks on faith under the Trump administration, although... You know, in our federalist system, you still see states making those attacks, California being one of them, where Kamala Harris was the attorney general. Well, I want to transition now to uh, to Pastor Rob McCoy of Godspeak Calvary Chapel Church in Ventura County, California. Uh, he has, uh, this past Sunday, held services double the size as people came uh, under threat of citation to be there and support him and support uh, the first amendment uh, yesterday he was uh before a judge uh, there in ventura county and he joins us now to uh to give us an update uh, pastor rob welcome to washington watch
8: thanks tony it's good to be with you right. we haven't talked in a while it's good to hear your voice
1: uh, thank you. Good to hear your voice as well. I was uh, actually up the road from you this Sun, this past Sunday at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills with Pastor Jack. So I was, I was monitoring your situation and getting text from people who were uh, at your service. Let's uh, let's jump right to it. Yesterday you were in court. What happened?
8: Uh, yesterday we were in court. Uh, the The previous judge had issued an emergency temporary restraining order to shut down the church. Uh, I was in violation, as was the church. The, the temporary restraining order named me and 1,000 unnamed congregants or visitors, so it's unprecedented the order that they put forward. We violated it on Sunday. Uh, I was called into court with a new judge, and the county and their legal team had sought to beef up the restriction order by requiring um, armed deputies to take whatever means possible to shut the church down. And then they were also seeking for this Friday to be my contempt hearing so they could immediately uh, dispense with me. Well, the judge turned down their request for armed deputies. No, no police officer wants to be put in that spot or have that optic of closing a church. And the judge was wise. And then the judge postponed my contempt hearing to next week um and and the the county was fearful we'd be in church again this Sunday, and we will be um, and so that's where it stands
1: now uh pastor rob let me let me uh, give you an opportunity to, to tell our listeners the fact that you are taking great precautions when it comes to what uh, the the sanitizing of your church, making sure it 's a safe environment. Um, but also people need to know that uh, even though Ventura County is on the watch list, that the governor, this is a rotating wa- watch list, you've you've practically have no cases there and you've not had them in your church.
8: Yeah, we've been we've been wide open, no masks, no social distancing. We do have ionization machines and UV lights and we've got hand sanitizers, but um, there's we we've been wide open as a church we haven't had one single case since since may 31st we've been open not one case our zip code where our church resides 91320 on the ventura county emergency data website tracking all of the COVID issues our zip code has the lowest number of cases in the county for residential anywhere else and we haven't had any cases no deaths nothing and and now it's it's an emergency but let me add this: Ventura County, eight hundred fifty thousand population, and the tragedy of, of, of a little over ninety victims. And, and we've cared for these families and, and helped with their funerals. Um, and we take we take food to to the shut-ins and those of of high you know susceptibility to this virus, which is sixty-five and older. But we haven't had a single death under the age of forty, and the death rate in the county is one one-hundredth of one percent. And we've already tested 15% of our population. Of the over 8,000 that tested positive, most of them didn't even know they had it. 90% don't even know they have the virus. Of the uh, of the 8,000 that have tested, positive, only less than 1% have died from those who tested positive. So we have taken a virus that really hasn't endangered, and we know the portion of the population that's most susceptible, yet, Our draconian measures by our county government have shuttered our businesses. 65% of our businesses will never reopen. They're, they're gone. They've allowed, uh, families that have an abuser abusing the spouse or the child to be sequestered with their perpetrator. Uh, People who need pre-cancer screenings haven't been able to receive them. Mm -hmm. We've released felons into the street, you know, to, to just run rampant and we closed our schools and ruined lives. And people say, well, why don't you love your neighbor? I do love my neighbor. I love all of those who have suffered and we're fighting for them. And we're contending with a draconian government that needs to care for its people.
1: Rob, I think you said this, you'll be meeting Sunday, right? Yes. And you are are opening your doors, why?
8: Why? When churches shut, there's a five times greater chance of suicide. We are a trichotomy, body, soul and spirit. There's immunity by community. Uh, this, this is so necessary for the people and, and it's, it's cathartic. It's ministering and nobody's, nobody's being affected. We're, we're taking precautions. And if you're 65 and older, we broadcast an FM station into the parking lot for those who are, mm-hmm. who are shut in at home. We bring them food, but everyone else, they, they can handle this. We know what the virus does.
1: And they want to be there. I saw it this weekend at uh, Chino Hills, 12,000 people there. They want the fellowship. They need it. It's time for our churches to open and stand up to these tyrannical government leaders. I I believe that with all my heart. Pastor Rob, thanks so much for joining us. We're out of time, but we'll talk with you next week, hopefully. All right, folks, out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Pastor Rob, go to TonyPerkins.com. Follow the links over. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you could do and you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
0: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.